The title of the sermon is, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm going to read the entirety of the text. And so let's listen to the word that God's Holy Spirit inspired through the Apostle John. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, that is Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also, that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. 
This is the word of the Lord. May he write its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we need the comfort and love and peace and wisdom and life that only you can give. Lord, you know the people gathered in this parking lot. You know the difficulties of life, the stings of betrayal, the hurts of sin, being sinned against. Lord, you were tempted in every single way in which we are, yet you were without sin. But because of that, you say that you're able to help us in our time of need. And so, Lord, we are in need right now. We ask that we would see you in all of your glory and beauty, that the Son of God would be glorified this morning, that we would have hope in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in this name we pray. Amen. Does life ever not go the way you would want? Like if you were writing the script, it probably wouldn't take this plot twist. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the understatement of the millennium, right? 2020. Does life ever go in such a way that you say, you know, if I was in control of things, I don't think I would do it that way. Yeah, I think this last year has been one extended exercise in feeling that truth. But as we find ourselves there, and can we just all admit at the outset that every single one of us has experienced things in life that we say, I don't really get it. Yeah. That there's nobody here that just floated in this Sunday morning and said this last week, oh, it was just one elevated experience after the next. I, I, I was carried from glory to glory. The, it's only in the songs that I ever even thought about sin. It's only, it's only as we were reading the story that I thought about the difficulty of life. No, none of us come in this morning with that experience. So the question before us is if that's the case for all of us, then what hope do we have as Christians? What does the Lord Jesus Christ have to say when life doesn't go how we would want? Well, today's scripture tells us a story and it's a story that I imagine if any of us were writing it, we probably probably would have taken it a different direction. If it were up to us, We wouldn't have gone that way. But here in this story, we'll learn in the school of Christ. And we're going to learn from the Lord Jesus. And as we learn from him, we're going to find the truest, most lasting and only hope that actually exists both in life and in death and every trial in between. We're going to go through this story under three headings, three truths about God, complementary truths, things that modify one another. The first thing we're going to look at is God's love and God's glory in verses one through four. 
Then we're going to look at God's wisdom and God's timing in verses 5 through 16. And lastly, we're going to look at Jesus, the resurrection, and Jesus, the life, in verses 17 through 27. God's love and God's glory. Read with me one more time, verses 1 through 4. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Martha and her sister Mary. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus's public ministry has ended at the end of chapter 10. No longer does he go around speaking to vast crowds. Next chapter will initiate the last week of Jesus's life. And if you recall, he's just escaped the attempted stoning he faced in Jerusalem. But we know ultimately Jesus must go to the cross in Jerusalem. And so the question is, what will draw Jesus back to the city? And in a word, the answer is his love. Verses one and two, we see the characters of the story, the conflict of the story in the city to which Jesus must go. We find Lazarus and all we are told of Lazarus is that he is ill and he is the brother of Mary and Martha, people who became famous later on through the preaching of the gospel. Mary was the one who we're gonna see in chapter 12, anointed Jesus's feet with expensive perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Martha is her sister and they live in the city of Bethany. And what we find out about the city of Bethany is it's only two miles from Jerusalem. It's anywhere in Carpinteria. It's a stone's throw. It's an hour's walk. In verse three, the story after being set begins. Mary and Martha send and call to Jesus. And the first word they say to him is Lord, Lord. Now, most likely they're not referring to Jesus in all the fullness of what that word really means, that he is master, that he is over all things, yet still they call him Lord. Man, it's my finding that we are on an ever deepening journey of learning the true meaning of the things we call God. We come to God, we come to Jesus and we call him Lord and Savior. But Christian, let me ask you, when you first called Jesus those words to where you are now, did you understand the depth of them? That he's Lord, not just over one inch of your life, but over every square inch of this universe that he's your savior. He didn't just wash you so you could do good now, but he continues to save you as you continue to increasingly become more like him and yet still struggle with sin. We come to God and we call him father. 
But who of us ever, the first time we uttered those words, could have known the wisdom and love and care of who God as our Father truly is? We call the Holy Spirit comforter. But it isn't until you need him as comforter that you ever start to grasp the depths of these words. They said to Jesus, Lord. And we could say this story is going to be one extended deepening journey to see what that really means that Jesus is Lord. They say, Lord, he whom you love is ill. I love it about Mary and Martha that they have faith to say, if we just tell Jesus our plight, he'll do what's right. They're not even necessarily thinking that. They don't say, you must do this. They just say, if God knows, that's enough. If he knows, then he'll do what's right. He'll send, he'll come, he'll do whatever we need. Lord, he whom you love is ill. They cry out to him. They know it's enough to tell their friend Jesus of their sorrow and their plight. And interestingly, this is the first person Jesus is said to love in the gospel of John. The first person Jesus is said to love as his public ministry has ended and the camera, as it were, is narrowing in on Jesus's last week. We get a tighter picture of Jesus. And what do we see? We see that Jesus loves his people. Jesus loves his friends. Jesus loves Lazarus. And Christian, hear how Jesus loved him and know this, that his heart now in heaven is the same as it was while he walked this earth. As one pastor said, the heart, in he- the heart of Jesus in heaven is as tender towards sinners on earth as it ever was while he walked this earth. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves his people and his love is real and it is true and it is better than you currently think it is. Jesus responds to their call in verse four. And he says this, this illness does not lead to death. This illness doesn't lead to death, Jesus says. And then he gives us a truth and he gives us a purpose. The truth is that this is for the glory of God. You remember in John chapter nine, as people were debating, why is this person blind? His sin or his parents' sin? And you can go back and listen to that message as we talked about why, why do these things happen? But Jesus' words were, it wasn't his sin nor his parents' sin, but that the glory of God might be revealed in him. And we see an echo here. This illness, the truth is, it's for the glory of God that God would be seen for who he truly is. The truth and the purpose more narrowly is this, so that the son of God may be glorified through it. This illness doesn't lead to death, but it's for the glory of God so that the son of God, Jesus may be glorified through it. What do we mean by glorified? We mean seen as he truly is, 
seen as good and true and eternal and altogether lovely. So here, God's glory is going to be unbreakable from God's love. And it's going to be seen through how Jesus handles everything in this story. God's love and God's glory together. But I'm going to preempt the story and the narrative because this story doesn't go how we'd plan. In our stories, as we've already said, they don't go how we'd always plan. Man, when I was in college, I I thought I knew exactly the life I needed, the life I wanted, and the life I could have. And I prayed for it. And I was utterly certain that this would be the will of God. And I I was so confused when some of those things didn't come about. Have you ever been there where you just thought you knew and life doesn't go that way? Well, what can we learn when we find ourselves there? When we find ourselves, maybe you're here right now and life hasn't gone how you thought. What can we learn in the school of Christ? Well, practically first, we can learn that we can cry out to Jesus in time of need. Look at Mary and Martha. They are here to teach us something. J.C. Ryle said this, like the holy sisters, that is Mary and Martha at Bethany, we must send up a prayer to Christ. Let us not forget in the hurry and excitement of our feelings that none can help like him and that he is merciful, loving, and gracious. Where you find yourself in the disconnect between, I didn't think it would go this way. Send up a prayer to Christ. Just tell him your heart. Lord, the one you love is ill. Lord, I'm hurting right now. Help me. We can come to Christ. And within that, I would imagine that you've probably already done that. And so what other hope is there? Well, it's this just here from another Christian, from the word of God to keep going. Don't lose heart. The apostle Paul says that over and over again. Don't lose heart. Set your hope in Christ. Keep going to him. You're not alone if you're suffering as a Christian. It doesn't mean something's just wrong with you. If you're going through trials and difficulties, you're not the only one. God loves his people and God will work all things for their good and his glory. Let's continue in the story. Verses five through 16. I'll just read verses five and six. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So these two verses. Verse five, John wants to make something crystal clear. And it is this, Jesus loves these people. If there's one thing John wants us not to miss, it's 
Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He truly loves them. Then we have verse six. So, therefore, because he loves them, he stayed two days where he was. (laughs) These things seem contradictory to us. If he loved them, surely he would have left immediately. Surely he would get up from what he was doing and go to Bethany. Surely he would go and heal Lazarus. But it's not so. He loved him, so he stayed put for two days. Why? Why? Could there be a more natural human question than to say, why? The answer is this. Because God is always wise. Because God is always wise. So let's talk about God's wisdom and God's timing. He's going to allow for Lazarus, we're going to find out, to be in the tomb for four days. And John wants us to know this. Don't think, don't conclude it's because Jesus doesn't love him. Don't think also that Jesus's love just has nothing to do with this equation. This is just a happenstance. This is just a mistake, maybe. Just Jesus couldn't do otherwise. He's making the best out of the circumstances. No, he loves him and he stays for two days. And it's a hard truth to accept, but there's good news for us in it as we discover the true God who lives. But let's ask the question, because this is the question we all need to ask. Why is God's wisdom and God's timing so much different than ours? The Proverbs say, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Have you ever been heart sick because you thought this was surely God's will and this was going to happen and it didn't? It can make us ache. So what is this? God's wisdom and God's timing, they're so much different than ours. Why? Well, the first thing we should acknowledge is that as the scriptures say, we see through a glass dimly. We have a limited perspective. We don't see everything clearly. It's true. It doesn't remove the pain of it. And I'm not trying to remove the pain of it. Jesus isn't even trying to remove the pain of that. It's just the truth that in this fallen world, we don't see everything as clearly as God does. And we are finite, not infinite creatures. We have but a speck of dust of wisdom. We can't teach God anything. We constantly need to learn from God. But we see through a glass dimly. Secondly, why is God's wisdom, God's timing different than ours? Because he means to give us hope that is not seen. Romans 8, 24 and 25 say that hope that is seen isn't hope. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Who has a Mercedes in their parking lot and constantly says to themselves, I hope one day I have a Mercedes in my parking lot. They don't do that. They already possess it. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. 
We wait in patience and God wants to teach us to hope for what we do not yet see in this fallen world. And thirdly, probably this is the one that came to all of our minds is simply this. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But there's something I recently learned. And that is this. That verse comes from Isaiah 55. And Isaiah 55 is a chapter all about the greatness of God. All about his infinite wisdom and how he's so far above us and how he's so much more gracious than you ever thought he was. Did you know the context of God saying to his people, my thoughts aren't your thoughts, my ways aren't your ways, isn't simply, look, my plan's just better than yours, so get over it. He's not saying that. What God is saying is I'm way more compassionate than you would have ever imagined. So don't say to me that I shouldn't do something. He says, I'm going to save more and be more gracious than you would have ever thought. Here, Isaiah 55, verses six and following. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my way, are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He says, do you know what the true wisdom of God is? That he's more loving and gracious than we ever thought as we looked at him. So don't hear my thoughts are not your thoughts and think you need to shrink back away from God. But rather that God is actually even in the midst of trials, being more gracious to us than we would ever think. Fourthly, why is God's wisdom and God's timing different than ours? Well, he intends not that Lazarus should not die physically, momentarily. That's not his will. His will isn't just that Lazarus shouldn't die physically, but that all the world would witness a resurrection and see the giver of life. That's Jesus's plan. Not just that for a while Lazarus wouldn't die, but that he would never truly die. So as we find ourselves in in this chasm between God's wisdom, which we know is good, and God's timing, which we just don't fathom and understand. What do we do? Well, trust the hand of God. Trust his hand. J.C. Ryle said, the hand that was nailed to the cross is too wise and loving to do anything that doesn't need to be done. Or, to keep us waiting for relief without any cause. John Newton said it this way, the writer of Amazing Grace. And the reason I I lean on some of these people who have died and gone to be with the Lord is because they saw the Lord's faithfulness throughout their whole lives. 
And we can learn from saints of the past. And John Newton said, all that he sends is needful. We need it. It's necessary. Nothing which he withholds can truly be needful. He will give you what is good. Like we heard in Psalm 84, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And J.I. Packer, who just recently been, went to be with the Lord, he said this, it's, a, it's something that I have found so helpful in my life. It doesn't solve all the problems, but he said this, if you ask, why is this happening? No light may come. But if you ask, how am I to glorify God now? There will always be an answer. There will always be an answer. So wait upon the Lord and trust the hand that was nailed to the cross for you. He's not doing you harm. He is wise. His timing is not always ours. But he is wise and he is loving and he is glorious. Verses 7 through 16. I'll read it and then paraphrase it as we're covering a large swath of scripture. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So what was going on here? Well, Jesus says, okay, now he waits two days and he says, now's the time. Let's go to Jerusalem. And they say, Jesus, we just escaped Jerusalem. They were trying to kill you there. Why are you going to go there? We're going to die if we go there. And Jesus gives them a couple of, uh, uh, man, uh, of phrases, a couple of ways of speaking. And he essentially the paraphrase is this. While I'm here, I've got to do the work I've got to do. I don't have forever. I have some tasks that the Father's given me. So I've got to go and do them. There's 12 hours in the day to work. I got to work all 12 hours. Once it's night, I won't be able to work anymore. I need to go to Lazarus. This is part of the work the father has for me to do. Then confusion ensues. Confusion ensues. So the disciples say, well, okay, I, I guess. Uh, and Jesus says, I need to go wake up Lazarus. And so the disciples are weighing things in their minds. And they're saying, hmm, going to Jerusalem where death will surely ensue and will surely be killed to wake someone up from their sleep. So they say, Jesus, Rabbi, can we have a word? If he's asleep, I think he'll wake up. 
There's confusion between these two things. I don't think we need to go to just wake up somebody. He'll just wake up. Jesus says to them plainly, look, he's not actually just sleeping. Lazarus is dead. How does Jesus know that? In his omniscience. Well, why didn't Jesus go sooner then? And why now go to Jerusalem where there's all these threats? You see the conflict in the disciples' hearts. But Jesus says, but for your sake, I'm glad that you may believe. He says, this trial is actually going to be for your good too. One encouraging thing we can know as Christians is that even our own trials are serving 10 million purposes we have no idea of. That God's work in your life is doing something in the people who are watching you. That it's not completely isolated and siloed from what he's doing in the lives of other people. How many of us is it our story that we watch someone go through a trial and find that Jesus was enough in that trial that sparked a heart of faith in us? God is doing a million things in our trials that we have no idea about. Mary and Martha and Lazarus had no idea that this was going to lead to the disciples believing who Jesus was. It was going to send them to preach the gospel to the nations. They had no idea. But God is doing a million things we're unaware of in our trials. And then we get this picture of Thomas. And I love Thomas. My heart grew in love for Thomas this week. Because Thomas does what a disciple does. He is kind of confused. He doesn't really get all of it. Do you ever feel like that as a disciple of Jesus? Lord, I can't make sense of all this. It feels like a jigsaw puzzle and I have no idea how to put these things together. But what does he do? He says, I guess I'll just go with Jesus. And what's his statement? He says, come on guys, let's go with Jesus also. We'll die with him. We'll die with him. He doesn't see it all. He doesn't understand it all. But he says, wherever I'm going, I guess all I know is I want to be with Jesus. He'll take care of me. He'll take care of us. And Thomas is actually speaking better than he ever knew. He said, let us go die with him. But the truth for every Christian is that the Christian has already died with Christ. And you'll never truly die. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. One last thing I want us to see as Jesus approaches Bethany and Jerusalem. And it's this. It's the love of Christ for Lazarus that draws him back to Jerusalem where he's going to die. It's the will of Jesus to raise Lazarus from his grave that will send Jesus to his own grave. Here is love of the Savior. But always remember the grave cannot restrain Jesus. Here is hope of the Savior. Let's look at Jesus, the resurrection and the life. I'll read verses 17 through 20. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. 
There was a common rabbinical teaching of the time I discovered that uh, they believed that a soul would hover over a dead body for three days. And if that body was resuscitated, then the soul could go and descend back into them. And so it's likely that John is saying four days, no hope. It's over. They wrote down the hour of death. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Four days, no hope. Only two miles away from Jerusalem, a a bunch of other people came to console. You can imagine they're probably thinking as Jesus comes, why'd he wait so long? We we were able to come. And we're, we're left wondering, what will Jesus do? What is he going to say? What's Martha going to say? And as we wait for that for a second, I just want one more time, hold on to this when you're in that spot, that hope that you see is not hope. Hope for that which you do not see. That is the hope of God. Mary speaks. And as she speaks, we find that she's a mixed bag. She's a, she's a mixed bag of faith and anger and confusion and doubt and longing hope. And she is just like every single one of us. And it's hard because this text is so beautiful. It's almost violence to comment on it. This is the truest story of the human experience. Listen, listen to her words. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, and we don't know her exact tone. What was this faith? Was this accusation? We're not quite sure. And maybe even Martha herself didn't know. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She says, Jesus, I know God hears you. Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died, but I know that God hears you. Even now, whatever you ask him, he'll do. And then we can, we can be tempted to think that she has perfect faith in this moment. But if you read the rest of the story, you know, in verse 39, Jesus goes and says, remove the stone from the tomb. And she says, oh no, it's going to smell. You can't do that. She has no conception that he could actually raise her from the dead, raise him from the dead. This is not a perfect faith. But perhaps she took Jesus' words as truth. She said, I know you can do something. I don't know exactly what it is. 
And Jesus responds to her. He says, your brother will rise. He'll raise. And it's actually likely that she kind of took this as an orthodox pat on the back. A, A true statement. She says, yeah, I know that. Have you, have you ever gotten one of those? The person may be well-meaning, but they, they say, this too shall pass. And just in your heart, you say, yeah, but it's not passing right now. You're just heartbroken and someone says, hey, there's other fish in the sea. You're, you're just hurting. And someone says something, Jesus says, Your brother will raise. And Martha says, yeah, I know that. I believe in the resurrection on the last day. I believe that's true. She's she's an Orthodox Jew. She has hope, but it's really, really far off. She says, I know that. Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The fifth of the I am statements, the one who spoke all things to being, he says, just being a few feet away from her, in human flesh, breathing oxygen, says, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. Do you believe that? He says to her, eternal hope isn't 10 million light years away. It's not simply one day people will rise from the dead. Yeah, that's true, but there's something good for you right here and right now. And the truth is, church, Jesus isn't just an inspirational idea. He's living hope right here and right now. Christians will never truly die. Your body will pass away and you will go to be with the Lord. And he will raise you up on the last day. But for you, it is simply entrance into the presence of God awaiting your eternal body. And though we die, yet we live. And all who live, we never truly die. Christians have the life of Christ flowing inside them right here and right now. And so in the darkest night, it's the light of Christ that still shines. And we know that he is the resurrection and life, not just whenever he chooses to return, but right here and right now. And our future is secure. And he says, do you believe this? Not just it's a trillion miles away, but it's right in front of you. Do you believe not simply in some abstract way, everything will turn out good, but that Jesus himself is hope. That the hope of heaven has come into our fallen world to make everything sad untrue. There's a hymn I love 
called Come Ye Sinners. And it's just a plea for us to come to Christ. One of the lines I love says this, Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry, if you wait until you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous sinners Jesus came to save. And it says in another line, all the fitness he requires is that you feel your need of him. Hope is not far off. All you need is your need for it and collapse into the one who is the resurrection and is the life. How is he the resurrection and the life? Well, he's the resurrection and the life because he killed death with his own death. He's the resurrection and the life by cleansing us with his blood that was innocently shed for our sins. He's the resurrection and the life by defeating the devil with the cross and his resurrection. He is the resurrection and the life. And Mary, or sorry, Martha gives the most beautiful confession, perhaps in all the Bible. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. I want to ask you a question right here. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus and we'll see that next week. But can you imagine if Jesus had just immediately went to Lazarus? I don't think there's a single one of us would say, if it was up to me, I would just go immediately. We would all do that in the moment, but look what God has worked. Look what he has done. He has revealed that he himself is the resurrection and the life. And so know that God loves you with a love that is perfect and will glorify Jesus, just as Jesus is being glorified through all of these trials. Know that God is always wise, especially when we can't understand his timing. And know that these truths come to us, not just in theory, but in the personal presence of Jesus Christ. Christian, struggling in trials, Christ is for you right now, the resurrection and the life. Eternal life has started already in your new heart. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you. He loves you right now as he loved Lazarus. And you too one day will be raised from the dead and from all your trials. Let us set our hope in the one who's the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you would carry us. You say in the book of Isaiah, even to gray hairs, I'll carry you. Lord, we need 
your resurrection power and we need your life-giving presence now. You know all the trials that are going on in the seats in this parking lot. You know the hurts and the aches. You know the confusion. And Jesus, you perfectly love them. I ask that we would all experience your loving presence. That we would live by faith in the Son of God who loved himself and gave himself for us. Lord, we set our hope on you. We ask that we would not look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen and trust you are working for us a weight of glory that we would never trade if we could see everything you could see. And God, I praise you that you answer every single one of our prayers how we would want you to answer it if we knew everything you knew. Father, we trust you. We don't trust that we as sons and daughters are strong enough to get through all of this, but we trust that our Father is strong enough and our Father is loving enough and our Father is wise enough to deliver us. We know our Redeemer lives. And so today, amidst all the trials, we rejoice. We rejoice in you, Jesus Christ, and we long for your return. Come, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen.